we are in the second week of our study in the book of Jonah, this man who has so much to teach us about the grace of God. We've titled the series, The Wild Grace Chase, and the title of this morning's message is When He Loves Like a Hurricane. When He Loves Like a Hurricane. And if you've not already found Jonah, I told you last week, it's okay to use the table of contents. And uh, Jonah is not a book that we turn to often, and so if you need some help, don't worry about looking it up. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 16, and we'll be reading those as we go through this particular study. When he loves like a hurricane. You know the story of Jonah, don't you? It was illustrated in the video before we got started. Story of a prophet told to deliver a message to a people that he did not love, care for, and God uh, told him to go, and Jonah refused. And what happens next is such a picture of what God does when you and I try to run from him. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father, we are overcome and overwhelmed that you would love us so much that you would do whatever it takes to come after us to rescue us to turn our minds and our hearts to you and father this morning as we gather together i imagine that there are some runners here a man or a woman or a boy or girl that knows that you are speaking to them that knows that you are calling them, and yet they are running away. I pray this morning, Lord, that your word, your Holy Spirit, and the truth about your love would change the heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you learn anything from Jonah, it's that no matter how hard you run, and wherever you run, you're still going to run into God. That when you try to run away from him, like Jonah did, you're still going to run into the Lord. And what we're going to see in this story is that God sends this great storm into Jonah's life. And you may be experiencing a storm. And it can take different forms. And I'm not going to pretend to understand everything about the storm that you're experiencing. But I do know that some of the storms that you and I have are ways in which God speaks to you and me. There are different kinds of storms, and so what we're going to say today doesn't apply to every situation that you could possibly face. There are storms, for example, where Job, who in many ways has a lot of similarities to Jonah, uh, Job was experiencing a storm in his life, and God allowed all kinds of circumstances to unfold he lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his health, and it was all part of what God was doing to develop and change Job into a different kind of man, to develop his faith. We see it with the disciples who were just doing what Jesus told them to do, and maybe you feel that way, oh, Lord, everything I'm doing, I'm just doing because I believe you told me to do it, and the disciples get into a boat with him and a storm comes. And they're experiencing a storm. But it's not a storm because they're running from God. They're actually being obedient to God. And they're experiencing 
difficult circumstances. And what is that all about? Well, obviously, the Lord was trying, testing, developing, training their faith as well. And so when you and I are experiencing a set of circumstances, don't rush too quick to judgment as to what it's about. But there is very definitely a storm that God sends, like this storm that Jonah experienced, a storm that is designed to absolutely disrupt your behavior and the direction in which you're going. It's designed to arrest you. It's designed to stop you. And why does God do that? You might jot down on the margin Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. Proverbs 3, 11, 12 answers that question. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. And so he looks at that relationship, the, the, the writer of the proverb as the relationship between a father and a son, and the father loves the son, and when the son is being a rebel, and the son is disobeying, and the son is running, the father brings correction into his life. The point is this, if you're constantly getting away with sin, if you're constantly running, if you're constantly doing what you want to do, and nothing happens, you don't have any reason to believe that you're a son or a daughter. Chastisement, discipline, correction, is a marker of the love of God. If you're a son and you disobey, if you're a daughter and you disobey and you're running from the Lord, this is what happens. This is what God does when you belong to him. You say, God, I don't want to do that, and you just try to ignore him, and you're going to sin. You say, God, really, just don't look at me right now what I'm about to do. The moment you do that, you just slapped one of these on you. And, and, that's, and that's what this story is about. It's the kind of love that loves you like a hurricane, like a great big wind, when God sends that wind into your life. Now, why does God do that? What is he trying to accomplish when he, uh, when he sends correction into your life and into my life? Why does he send these corrective storms? Number one, several things we can observe from this passage of Scripture. First, he sends the storm to prove his love for me. To prove his love for me. In verse 4, it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Now, we had read last week the first three verses, and God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to cry out against it. And it says, but Jonah rose, and he, he, he left. He, he quit. He went to Joppa. He goes down into a boat, and he goes with a group of guys to a place called Tarshish. Nobody knows where it is. It is so far away, though, from what God has told him to do. And so he's saying no to God. He's doing the opposite of what God says to do. He's not even thinking about what God wants him to do. He's not repentant. He's not disturbed. There's no dis-ease in his heart about what he's doing yet. And the reader at the end of verse 3 has, is thinking, what is God going to do about this? If Jonah's going to run, if, if Jonah's going to thumb his nose at God, what is God going to do about that? Well, the answer is in verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, 
But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. That immediately tells you and me a couple things about God. It reveals to us who God is. He is a ruling power. He cannot be ignored. He commands the wind and the sea and the waves. He truly does supervise and order the circumstances of our life. If you're a believer this morning, there's nothing that's ever happened to you that was an accident outside of the control of God. And so these things come into our life, and in this particular case, because Jonah is running, God sends a storm, and it reveals something of the majesty and the power and the greatness of God. You know, as we're going to see, these mariners, these seamen, they believed that the ocean was a God, that the wind was a God, that they had little personal gods that hung out with them. They had gods for everything. And here's this one great force that rules over all of the other forces they, they thought were like little gods. And so it reveals something to us about God. It reveals something to us about what God feels for you and me. That God loves you and me. And he will do whatever it takes to bring us back. That God is not punishing Jonah for what's happening. He's simply pursuing Jonah. He's going after him. He doesn't leave him alone. What would it have been like if nothing had happened? What if the story had read, so Jonah got up and he runs from God and nothing happened? God just said, well, we'll reload with a different prophet. What would that have said about God? But that's not what happened, is it? Because of his great love, God will not allow you to be unrepentant or undisturbed when you are sinning and running from him. Repentance is a change of mind. That's the essence of the word. It's a movement from doing life without God and rejecting God and turning to him in my mind and turning to him saying, I need God. And when you and I are running, he won't leave you that way. If you're his, if you're his son, if you're his daughter, he brings you to repentance. He won't leave you. Uncaring. Not caring a rip about what God thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do. He won't leave you that way because of his great love. He will disrupt your world. He will use your circumstances. He will do whatever it takes to bring you back to himself. Secondly, God sends storms to remind me of my weakness. God sends storms to remind me of my weakness. The verse continues, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. So anyone, I want you to, to realize this as you look at this story and you think about what God is doing. I think you can say that anyone who intentionally on, on purpose decides to disregard what God wants in their life and runs from God, they are deeply Deeply stupid. How's that for theology 101? <laughs> Ignorant. Here God sends a great wind. And what happens? The sea erupts. The ship, in the original language, the ship is breaking itself up. The ship is personified. And it's doing it to itself. The ship is coming, threatening to come apart. And then the mariners, the, the Hebrew word for mariners, for seamen, is salt. 
The salts are afraid. They're scared. You know that for a rugged seaman to be afraid of a storm, it had to be a major storm. And he brings all of these things to happen. They're recognizing immediately that they are weak. We don't know yet what Jonah is doing. but Those seamen know that they're weak. They know that this thing, whatever it is, is bigger than they are. And sometimes you and I need to be reminded that God is much bigger than we are. You know, you get the world together, you get people together, and you say, well, who is God to you? And we, we speculate. We say, well, I think God is such and such. I think God is this way. I think God is that way. I think God loves everybody, and God does this, and God does that. And, and we just sit down, and we just pontificate. We, we just make all of these assertions about who God is. As if we, as an ordinary man or an ordinary woman, could sit around and decide who God is. That is absolutely insane. In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, David writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? What is man? That you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. When you and I run, when you and I blow God off, and act like he's not important and he's a little God. He's not a big God. And we have no sense of our weakness. When we run, it is an illusion that we can determine our own lives. It is an illusion that I can decide for myself what's best. That I have it all under control. It's an illusion. And so one of the first things that God targets in your life is that illusion of self-determination, of self-reliance. That you are sufficient in yourself to take care of yourself. The first thing he does is he comes to you and says, son, you are weak. You are weak. And the storm reminds us of that. When you seek to obey God, when you and I come to him and say, Lord, whatever you want for me, we're saying, I don't know what's best for me, but I know that you know what's best for me. I am weak, but you are strong. I don't have a clue. You know all things. I am very limited. You are unlimited. And so God sends storms to remind me of my weakness. Thirdly, God sends storms to draw my attention to him. I mean, your whole perspective changes when that storm comes into your life. In verse 5, it says, and every man cried out to his God. And you know that still happens, doesn't it? Doesn't it? When something bad happens in the movie, something bad happens, people are texting, OMG, OMG, oh my God. You know, we cry out. We don't even think about it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's what these guys were doing. Oh, my God. And they really were praying to their God. You know, if, if it's not you, how about you? God one, God two, God three, whoever you are, whatever's up there. Oh, my God. Up to that moment, their attention was elsewhere. And when the storm comes into your life, suddenly, suddenly your attention is shifted. The things that were so important to you at one moment suddenly are not important. You weren't listening. You weren't teachable. You couldn't care less about the truth about God. You didn't mind coming to church on Sunday. That wasn't asking too much. You didn't mind maybe even sitting in a Bible study class. That wasn't asking too much. But, but God, you know, the rest of the week, I've got this. I got this. Until something goes wrong. Some years ago, there was a friend of ours 
that um, precious, godly man, loved the Lord, developed a brain tumor, and, and died. I went to see him before he died. His name was Ben. And, um, and Ben had encouraged me at critical moments in my life. He had encouraged my walk with the Lord. I mean, I, I just thought he was really a neat guy in terms of his walk with the Lord. When I was talking to him, I said, well, Ben, how, how are you? And he said, you know, he said, he said, I'm a lot more concerned about some things now than I was before. I'm concerned about the spiritual condition of my children more than I was before. And I'm, I'm thinking, you were concerned about them before. He's saying, no, at a whole different level, a whole different place. I'm concerned about my church and, and what God is doing in and through my church. I'm concerned with the people that don't know God, that don't know Christ in our community. He said, he said and I'm talking to everybody that comes in my hospital room about the Lord. And he said, it's not that I didn't share my faith before, but, but now it's the very first thing that's on my mind. It's the very first thing that's on my heart when someone comes that I don't know them. What is their spiritual condition? What, what is happening to them? And he said, and you know what I've realized, Don? He said, this is, this is simply the way I should have been all along. The way that I'm living now, knowing that my days are numbered, is the way I should have lived all along. And the truth is, all of our days are numbered. There is a set number. God has a number. He's got it written in a book. He knows. But do we know? And he sends the storm into our life sometimes to cause us to suddenly rearrange everything and to focus all of our attention on him. And it's really the way it should always be. Number four, God sends storms to loosen my attachment to material things. To loosen my attachment to material things. You know, one of the reasons it hurts so bad when you and I lose things is in part because we are holding on to those material things so tightly. And it's almost as if God has to peel our fingers off of it. And, and you know, if you hold on to something really tight and someone tries to take it away from you, it kind of hurts when they peel your, peel your fingers off of it. And God allows storms to reduce our attachment to material things. The cargo, verse 5, it says, And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea, to lighten the load through that cargo into the sea to lighten the load. What did that cargo represent to those sailors? Wasn't that everything? That was their business. That was their, their livelihood. That was what they were out there in the ocean for. Everything was about the cargo. How long did that last? <laughs> Not very long, did it? The storm comes. Suddenly, all of their values have been rearranged. And off goes that cargo. I don't give a rip about the cargo. I care a little bit more about breathing. I mean, that's where they were. And the storm came, and none of it mattered. You and I worry over stuff way too much. Jesus cautions us not to worry about stuff. He says if you let worry and thinking about how we're going to make it, how we're going to make ends meet, if that becomes the dominant thought in your life, it squeezes out your attention that the Lord that belongs to the Lord. It just has a way of squeezing all of that out. Jesus described the effect this can have on someone who knows the gospel. In Matthew 13, verse 22, it says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they do two things. They choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. 
Did it ever occur to you that when God's word came into your life and he saved you, that what he's looking for next is that your life would become fruitful? And he says, when you and I get caught up in the daily stuff of life, the fruit goes away. And the truth of the word becomes something that we kind of hear. But, but those cares, those worries, those daily commitments, the busyness, the schedules, it has a way of just choking the word in your life. The storm is designed to stop that. What you need to understand is that our Father loves you so much that he is willing to sacrifice your material security in order to capture your heart. And if you are facing a situation now where your material security is threatened and you know that you have not given attention to the Lord, you have not yielded to his leading in your life, you have not devoted yourself to his priorities and his concerns and this calling that God has on your life, please know that one of the reasons that may be happening is he is calling you to himself in a new way. Come, stop. Don't worry. Release your attachment to those things. Come to me. Come to me. Seek first my kingdom. Number five. God sends storms to confront me with the gap between my profession of faith and my practice of faith. The gap. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at verse five. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down and was fast asleep. These guys are dying. They're crying out to God. They're throwing cargo overboard. This is some kind of hard heart that goes down, that goes to sleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. By the way, that word arise is the same one God used when he told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. In other words, our gods aren't working. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. And so the sailors, the salts, have gotten together, and they're going to cast lots, which was a common way, particularly among Jewish people, but even outside of the Hebrew world, for people to determine divine direction. What does God want us to do? So they would cast lots. We have the Holy Spirit now. We don't have to cast lots, but that's what they were doing. And so they're casting lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? Now, why did they ask him all these questions? Because in that day and time, they were polytheists, they were idolaters, they believed in lots of different gods. And their gods weren't behind this. I never had a god, they're saying, essentially. I never had a god that could do something like this. So it must be your god. So we need to know something about where you're from because gods were associated with particular groups of people and particular tribes and particular places. And, and so we need to know. They're, they're going through a diagnostic series of questions to try to figure out what god is this? So he said to them, and this is Jonah's profession of faith, listen, I am a Hebrew, 
And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? Can I translate that Hebrew? Are you nuts? You serve a God who can do this? And they're asking him that because it says, For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them that was Jonah's practice of faith. His profession of faith was, I fear God. His practice was, I'm running from God. You see the gap? There's a supernatural storm that moved the captain and it moved the sailors to find out what was going on. And the captain's saying, why aren't you praying to your God? The sailors are saying, why are you running from God? It may surprise you to learn that the world outside the walls of our church building wants Christians to live like Christians. They want to know people who pray like Christians. They want to believe that Christians exist. Christians who know God. People who are like Christians that they've heard about. People that they read about. Those who will pray like Christians. And the storms have a way of exposing our superficial faith. We really get serious, don't we, when the storm comes. And the gap between what I say I believe and what I'm doing tends to close up pretty quick. Number six, God sends storms to teach me the wisdom of full and immediate surrender to his will. In verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know, this is Jonah talking, that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, look at what they did. The men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Everyone, everyone in this story surrenders here in this passage. Everybody does. Jonah is not even praying. He has yet to pray. You realize that? He's not afraid. He's not praying. He's not even dealing with God. Still, he's not. But he surrenders, doesn't he? He surrenders. He says, I know this is happening because of me. He says, so guys, here's what you got to do. You got to toss me overboard. He surrenders. What do the sailors do? They said, man, I'm not sure. We're dealing with a God who can do this, and he, and he has some kind of some kind of issue with you, and, and he's after you, and if we throw him overboard, what is that going to do to him? I mean, they're a little concerned here. So they say, I, we don't like your advice. You haven't proven yourself very good about thinking right now because we're in this situation. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to put you off on land. And so they row and they row and they row and they row and they row. And they're trying to get to land so they can eject Jonah into a dry spot. So they would not be responsible for his death. And they can't do it. The sea gets even worse. And they don't have a choice. God prevented them from doing what they wanted to do. God prevented them from exercising the human solution to my problem. 
They had no choice. And they surrendered. And they tossed God, uh, Jonah, overboard. And they stopped fighting God. And if you are fighting God today, you need to stop fighting God. Stop fighting Him. If He is after you, you just need to give up. You know, in the New Testament church, it talked about church discipline. And we think in terms of, well, that's just a bunch of Pharisees who are kicking somebody out of the church because they don't like their, their particular sin. But in fact, what's happening, the dynamic of what's happening in a church when they exercise church discipline in the New Testament is they put somebody out there and out there while they're running. They're running from God. They're not listening to God. They're not listening to the church. They're not listening to anybody. And while they're out there, God says, Satan will deal with them. They'll be exposed to a storm. If they're not going to listen to me and they're not going to listen to you, they'll be exposed out there. And we do that not because we want to see them destroyed, but because we want to see them rescued and we want to see them saved. And so this, this issue of God sending the storms is to bring you and I to a place where we realize that my father loves me, but he is not a doting father. He is a father who's a king, and he is to rule in my life. If I have time, it's no longer my time. It belongs to him. It's no longer yours. If you have possessions, they're not yours anymore. They belong to him. If you have a future, it's not yours anymore. That future belongs to him. You and I are called to surrender everything to him. We are not called just to come and warm a pew for 30 years. We are called to follow him and to surrender everything to him. Jesus called his people to follow him, to take up their cross, to die for him. Not just physically, but to everything else that this world offers. And we have made it so silly and sentimental and easy. And he says, if you're running from me, I'm going to bring you to a place of surrender. One way or another, my son, my daughter, I love you. But you've got to surrender to me. And then finally, number seven, God sends storms to use my life to influence others to know him. To use my life to influence others to know him. Verse 14. You know, they rode and rode. And, um, and they got to toss Jonah. So here's what we read. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us to hold us responsible with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Right then, boom, it stopped. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. I want you to notice the progression of fear in the lives of the sailors in this passage. In verse 5, they feared the storm. It says, then the mariners were afraid. The storm was big. It was nasty. It was a monster storm. It was supernatural in origin. They recognized that, and they were afraid of the storm. In verse 10, their fear shifted from the storm to a fear of whoever this God was associated with Jonah. It says in verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? Are you nuts? Are you crazy? 
I mean, a God that can do this, a God can do this, you're running from him, why did you do this? And so now they're focused on, on this God. They don't know him yet, not fully. They don't have a name or anything. And that's when Jonah replies and he said that he feared the Lord. And at that moment when he said, I fear the Lord, which was his profession, not his practice. When he said, I fear the Lord, and the word Lord there is the word Yahweh. Now God has a name as far as these sailors are concerned. And so in verse 16, their fear now is completely focused on Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord. And in their prayer, they say, oh, we pray, oh, Yahweh, verse 14, uh, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. And at the end, when the sea went calm, verse 16, they feared the Lord, they feared Yahweh exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and took vows. Originally, they're praying to unnamed uh, gods, anything they can come up with, the God of this, the God of that. But now they're focused completely and entirely on the one true God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And here are these guys. Jonah won't even go talk to the Ninevites. He didn't have much to say to these sailors. You know, trust Yahweh, you're going to die. You know, go to hell. You need to know Yahweh. He's the giver of life. You need to follow him the way I follow him or something like that. He didn't do any of that. He said, I happen to be running from the one true God. And if you throw me overboard, you're going to be all right. What an awful way to witness. I don't recommend it. But you and I, even in the midst of the storm, the way you and I respond to that storm is a testimony to everybody who watches us. When we're in a storm, even if it's one that we have created, even if it's one that has been sent into our lives because we have been disobedient, even at that moment, God can redeem our stupidity and use even our worst moments to change the lives of others. If we will become real and honest and say, you know, I know the Lord, I have trusted the Lord, but I have not practiced a life of somebody who follows the Lord. And be truthful. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line, what you need to hear today, your takeaway today is this. I don't know what you're experiencing right now, but this is true. The severity of the storm reflects the fierceness of his love for you. The severity of the storm reflects the fierceness of his love for you. Things happen to you and me. Things are going wrong. The wheels are coming off of our life. We say, oh God, don't you love me? Oh God, don't you care? And everywhere in Scripture, we see when we can get behind the scenes, like the behind the scenes of Jonah's life, behind the scenes of Job's life, every instance where we can kind of get the backstory, what do we find? God loved Job. God loved Jonah. God loved the Ninevites. God loved the sailors. And he loves you. He loves you. It's a fierce love. It can be a love like a hurricane. But he loves you. And if you know him and you've been running from him, he wants you to come back to him. 
He wants you to come and to trust him and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to run my own life. Everything I do, when I try to do it on my own, all I do is mess it up. And God, I'm quitting now. And I want to come to you and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be the director of my life. I want you to have everything, my possessions, my family, my job, everything that I have, Lord, I want to give it to you. I surrender all. And if you're in a storm today, that's your only way out. That is your only way out of the storm. Pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, for this man, Jonah, and oh, God, for that man or woman here who realizes that you are pursuing them in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, because of your great love, and your great mercy and your great favor, that you would pursue that dear one until they turn. And Father, for those of us who have not experienced that kind of storm, but we may be taking our relationship to you for granted, and maybe our heart has drifted, we are not prepared for a call from a holy God to go do something. I pray, Father, that we would prepare our hearts. I don't know what you have for each person here, but I know that each person has a mission. Each person has a calling. Each one here has a reason for being on earth right now and breathing and listening. I pray, Almighty God, that in this hour that hearts would turn to you that minds would be focused on you and for the one that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior we pray in these moments they would come and surrender and give their lives to Christ and find forgiveness for their sin and be washed clean and be made new and we ask it in Jesus' name.